0: This is the Honest CEO Show hosted by the Honest CEO, Caroline Kennedy. Get ready to be informed, inspired and motivated by the honest stories from passionate, extraordinary business people
1: who share their ups and downs and their learnings on the journey to building success in business. Welcome, and my guest today is Dr. Amantha Imba. She is an innovation psychologist, best selling author, and founder of Australia's leading innovation consultancy firm, Inventium. Inventium has been recognised as one of Australia's fastest growing companies in the BRW Fast 100 list and was also awarded the BRW Client Choice Award for Best Management Consultancy in Australia. In 2016, Amantha was inducted into the Australian Business Women's Hall of Fame. With a PhD in organizational psychology, Amantha has held company helped companies such as Google, Coca-Cola, Disney, Lego, Red Bull, American Express, McDonald's, Virgin Australia, Commonwealth Bank, and many others innovate more successfully. Amantha was a finalist in the 2015 Telstra Businesswomen of the Year Awards. And Amantha is the author of the best-selling book, The Creativity Formula, 50 Scientifically Proven Creativity Boosters for Work and for Life. Her second book, The Innovation Formula, was released a few months ago. Congratulations Samantha on building a highly successful business and your amazing achievements to date.
0: Thank you very much, thank you. <laughs>
1: Congratulations too you on your second book which I'm reading at the moment and I really resonate with a lot of your thought processes on innovation and particularly the process of innovation and the science and research supporting it.
0: Mm, yeah, yeah, no definitely. i I. I feel like I'm on a personal mission to stamp out all the fluff that exists in the innovation field because so many people have opinions but a lot of the time they're they're not really based on anything. So everything we do at Inventium and certainly both my books are all around what's been scientifically proven to drive innovation.
1: Yeah and it's certainly evident and it really correlates with innovation as well. So tell us your story.
0: Sure. So, uh, where where do I start? Uh, should I should I maybe start from um, after school, perhaps? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Look. So. So I um I I always wanted to be a psychologist. That was kind of my dream. Uh, I grew up with a mother who was a clinical psychologist, and I knew that I was fascinated. By people, and I wanted to help people for a living. That's what I wanted to do. So, um, I I kind of you know straight out of school, I, I did like a, a seven year sentence at university. So I went straight through and um, ended up uh, getting my PhD in organisational psychology, and did, um, did did a few years working in in advertising as a strategist and consumer psychologist. So really. Understanding why people buy what they buy and how to influence buyer behaviour, but yeah. ultimately I I lost my passion for for what I was doing in the industry. I found some of the things I was doing sort of ethically um, challenging, let's say, and I made the decision to leave. So at the time, I, I gave my boss three months' notice because um, he sort of wanted to, to sort of plan around the fact that um, he knew I was leaving and. I had no idea what I wanted to do, um, but but what I did know is that I wanted to move into a role where where I was helping people and using my psychology skills in a more meaningful way. So I I, I looked around for for jobs. I went for lots of interviews, and and just I simply couldn't find a company that that I wanted to work for um, where you know it was a good cultural fit and where I really respected their intellectual property. So plan B was to just do it myself which some of my friends were pushing me into I didn't I didn't (laughs) want to start my own business I you know never you know sort of felt like I had that entrepreneurial gene but uh it was really the plan b because I couldn't find anywhere I wanted to work so I started my own workplace and that was in Bentium and that was nine years ago and that's been the best decision ever um I I love what I do and every day you know myself and my team just get to have an amazing impact on, on businesses and helping them uh just deliver great new ideas to the world um, through the work that we do.
1: Yeah, wonderful. Now, tell me a little bit about Inventium and the size of the business and the teams that you've got.
0: Sure. So, uh, a bit about Inventium. So, what we do, the best way to think of us is like we're, we're like a management consultancy, but all we focus on is innovation. So, so we're kind of obsessed with helping businesses generally, the, the sort of the larger end of, of town, um, uh, help, helping them innovate more effectively and more sustainably. Uh, so we've got a team of I think there's like about 17 or 18 people in the team across Melbourne and Sydney. And we spend our days working, you know, with companies like the, the ones that you are. Uh, read out um, when you were introducing me, um, so quite big, well-known companies and helping them do things like work out where to focus their innovation efforts and train and and build capability with their people to turn them into even better innovators and set up a process for innovation so people know what to do if they've got a great idea. So that's the kind of stuff that that we do here at Inventium.
1: Yeah, fantastic. Now, I've always believed uh, in keeping the customer at the heart of everything you do in business. And we've discussed that recently at the breakfast. To me, this is one of the most organic ways to innovate. Now, um, you know, and particularly around what are your customers' problems and how are you providing the solution to those problems? And that's the, it's not just about being customer-centric, but it's about what are their problems and how do we provide them with that solution? So what are your thoughts on this?
0: Yeah, where I see organisations get it really wrong, is that they will think that innovation and an innovation process starts with ideas. So it starts with the generation of ideas. But for us, this is almost halfway down a good innovation process, because innovation needs to start with, firstly, an area of focus, where where, where do you want to be placing your innovation bets, essentially, and then putting the customer right at the heart of this. So going, what are the big problems that our customers have today? For which there were no adequate solutions. So, I mean, you don't want to be solving for problems where there are already adequate solutions. That that's a little bit of a waste of time. So, <laughs> really looking at looking at your customers and also looking at people who are not your customers but you would like to be your customers, and asking yourself why are they not currently consuming our product, and looking at what are the barriers that are in place. Like, you know, uh, like you know, is is uh, you know, uh, like money a barrier? Is what you provide? too expensive in terms of the, the price bracket so could you think about like disrupting yourself and having a, a completely sort of cut price alternative to what you do so that people who previously couldn't afford your services can now afford them like uh, as an example yeah uh so so that, that that's really where innovation needs to start and and that's the kind of work that we do with our clients really focusing them like away from starting with just an idea but actually starting with a customer and a customer problem.
1: Yeah, yeah. Now, now I know this is a big question, but can you tell us, you know, what is the process for innovation or one that you've identified that works really well?
0: Sure. I can talk about that at a really top-line level. Actually, in in The Innovation Formula, my latest book, I talk about it in a little bit of detail, but really top-line. A good process starts with what we call innovation missions. This is basically saying where, as a company, Are we going to focus our innovation efforts? And making sure that you've got a mix of incremental innovations, so the kind of smaller improvements to your current products and services, but also a focus on more breakthrough or disruptive kind of innovation, which is an area where a lot of companies don't place enough focus. So once we've got those areas of focus, yeah, they they really do. So once we've got those areas of focus, we then move on to doing what we call a scan. So really putting the customer at the heart of it and going where is the, the the biggest and most profitable area that that we can look to solve within this broad area that we've identified that we want to focus on and it part of that will involve speaking to the customer and observing them and understanding what matters to them and what their big frustrations are we then move on and we set a challenge or several challenges and these reflect within that big area of focus within that mission where specifically Should we be focusing our efforts? Then we move on to ideation, generating ideas, and then shortlisting those ideas. And then rather than moving straight to implementation, which is where a lot of companies get it wrong, they have an idea and they go, great, let's implement it, we need to first experiment. So we need to to run experiments where we're setting hypotheses as to why we think this idea will add value, designing an experiment where we can actually test a really basic stripped back version of this idea, otherwise known as a minimum viable product with our customers and see how it's going to impact behaviour. And then once we've learned from that, iterated accordingly, we can then move on and, and scale up that idea. So that's in a nutshell what, what a good innovation process looks like.
1: Yep. And in your book you tell a story about an advertising agency in the UK I think um, Wiedemann and Kennedy.
0: Wiedemann and Kennedy, yes. Yeah, and yes. their
1: strategy for creativity. Can you tell us that story?
0: Yes, so at Wyden and Kennedy who within the advertising industry would be considered one of the most creative agencies on the planet. So they're a, they're a global agency and this story comes from their office in London and I I was speaking to uh, one of um, one of their senior leaders and asking what are the what are the basic sort of tenets that you have as an agency? And one of them was walk in stupid every day. And I said, great, that sounds nice in practice, but what, like you know, like in theory, <laughs> what does that actually mean in practice? Is this just one of these you know nice you know nice in theory kind of things? And he he told me a few things. Firstly, there's there's a a visual artifact in place if you like so when you walk into the London office there is a guy like a mannequin standing at, at the door and he's got a blender for a head and he's he's carrying a briefcase and it says walk in stupid every day so like right there when you walk in the agency you're reminded of this tenant um how this works in practice is what typically happens when you work in an ad agency, if a new account comes into the business or if you're pitching for a new piece of business, and let's just say it's in the automotive industry, what you would typically do is you would send an email out to all staff and you'd ask who's had experience working in the automotive industry before. And then you would assemble a team of people who were uh, experts Mm. in inverted commas on the automotive industry and advertising within that industry. But at Widen and Kennedy, they flip that on its head and they go, no, we don't want people who are intimate with the industry because they know all the conventions and they'll probably just operate by those conventions. Yeah. So instead, they deliberately uh, put people on teams that don't have experience in the industry, always almost creating this naive team, if you like. And where, like one example of where they did it really well is on the Honda account. So they they have the honda account over in the uk and a lot of a lot of the the ads that they create there do go go global and what they did is they created a team that between them almost had not a day's experience working on car advertising in their lives and that team then created some of the most breakthrough and award-winning and effective ads that that honda had ever seen and that we'd ever seen in the industry so One ad that that you might remember, this is going back about 13 years ago, was the Honda Cog ad, which was quite revolutionary for its time. It was a two-minute ad, which at the time was unheard of. And this particular ad took apart all the different parts of a Honda Accord and lined them up almost like a domino effect where each part kind of knocked onto the other and then the the climax of the ad was those parts then unveiling a Honda Accord, which then uh, sort of... Um, slid down a platform. and with the tagline, I think it was like every isn't it nice when things just work? Uh, so it's it certainly um you know that that particular ad created by a team with almost no automotive experience was was one of the most successful ads of all time across any category.
1: yeah. because it's looking at at it from a fresh eyes perspective, isn't it? really? because you don't come in with any preconceptions about the industry, and so you can really challenge. You know the thought process. That's as well. exactly
0: right. Yeah, you, you. It's it makes it easy to crush any existing assumptions because you largely don't have any. Like you, you literally are walking in stupid, but in a really you know the best possible way.
1: Yeah, of course. <laughs> in in particular, in the book, the research around the um, important drivers of innovation, which concludes that a positive amount of pressure is key to a team's. Um success in producing creative outcomes. and more specifically, if the pressure can be generated from within the invi- individual, then it becomes a far more um, motivating force. Now, I again really resonated with this. and as I thought back throughout my career and the results um, and innovative changes, they had really stemmed from, particularly my internal desire and the pressure I put on myself to solve um, the problems or to find solutions to whatever problems existed at the time. So can you tell me more about this research?
0: Sure. So the very first chapter of the book actually is, is all about this idea of challenge and how important it is to feel challenged by the work that you're doing. So what you don't want and where you get like zero innovation is where you don't feel challenged by your work so you feel like you could just come in and do your job with your eyes shut uh so you you don't get creative output in that sort of circumstance but also you don't want too much challenge you don't want challenge where someone's like you know tearing their hair out uh because they're just so stressed so you need to find that sweet spot it's kind of like an inverted U um in terms of innovation performance and challenge where that sweet spot is just the right amount of challenge where you feel like you've got the skills and resources to to rise up to that challenge and and meet it. And it's where you get to this sense of of flow where you're just in the zone uh, and time is flying and you're totally immersed and you're feeling challenged. And that's that's the ideal state for innovation to happen in.
1: Yeah, yeah. And also with leading teams, I suppose you talk a lot about, you know, how enhanced performance um, comes from accountability, autonomy and empowering people to think differently. So how much does uh, autonomy and empowerment play in the role in innovation with teams? It has a
0: really big impact so if we look at autonomy, for example, and giving people to f- the, the freedom to choose how they go about doing tasks and, and how they get from A to B is really, really important. If people don't feel like they've got the freedom and the autonomy to make those choices, then again, it's, it's going to kill creativity. So one example I talk about in the book comes from Etsy, which uh, probably, you know, not to um, the stereotype genders but probably Mm -hmm. most female listeners uh, would have heard of Etsy and possibly purchased something from Etsy, perhaps not the male ones. Um, Essentially Etsy is the uh, the largest marketplace in the world for buying handmade and and vintage goods and at Etsy they've got quite a remarkable culture and, and quite a remarkable leadership team. One of the philosophies they have in place at Etsy is this idea of continuous deployment. So anyone at uh at any level of etsy has permission to make changes directly to the website which is which is huge when you think about it the etsy website i'm not sure what the latest numbers are but uh you know when i last checked i think that they get something like 50 million unique visitors per month and yet anyone can push a change onto the website wow (laughs) so there's no approval process but because of that autonomy like you kind of you keep yourself in check. Like the whole world is going to see your change. So and you, you take you, it very you know,
1: seriously, I could imagine. Yeah,
0: absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And look, they're, they're making between 30 to 50 changes every day to their website and iterating it and improving it. But it's just wonderful that there's no approval process, there's no sign-off process. So what that means is practice is, you know, like if someone comes to um, say Chad Dickerson, who's the CEO of Etsy with a great idea, said, well, great, just do it. Like the, there's no roadblocks. There's nothing in the way, which I just love and has led to an incredible culture at, at Etsy, which I um, have huge admiration for.
1: Absolutely. Um, and a, a lot of businesses wouldn't go down that path. They'd actually find it quite risky. But I can imagine the rewards would outweigh that. And as you say, people do take responsibility quite seriously too, and they'd feel like they really want to contribute and to make a difference. And it would also create an environment, I can imagine, of uh, a little bit of competitiveness, too, in regards mm-hmm. to innovation and ideas and recommendations and suggestions, um, which which is the environment you really want to operate in, don't you? Because it, it just allows for progress.
0: That's absolutely right. Absolutely yep. right.
1: As with anything new in business, innovation can come with risks and what are your suggestions to reduce the risk when innovation, now I remember you said earlier on about um, testing the theory, can we delve into that a little bit deeper?
0: Yeah, we certainly can. So one of the best ways to de-risk innovation is rather than moving straight from idea through to implementation is putting in place an experimentation stage. So once you've got an idea or a short list of ideas, rather than just doing them straight away, run some experiments. So what you want to do there is firstly, you want to Set some hypotheses. So what are the assumptions that you're making around why you think this idea is going to add value to your customers? And then you want to prioritise those hypotheses, which is the riskiest one that you've identified. And then you want to test that. So to test it, you need know, to design an experiment and design what, what I referred to before, a minimum viable product. So the like a basic version of, of your idea and then get some get some feedback from customers see how it changes their behavior and then through doing that it's it's really does make it a lot less risky to innovate because it's almost like you you're getting a preview before you actually launch you're seeing how it impacts behavior you can then change or iterate the idea accordingly or you might even pull the plug on the idea if if your customers are just like oh, well this isn't adding any value this is terrible so great better to know that now than when you've spend a million dollars implementing an idea
1: absolutely and that's so simple though isn't it it's about understanding whether the um, whether the solution I suppose is there's actually any demand for it and if there's no demand and you've gone and spent millions of dollars mm-hmm. on something that just the market yeah. doesn't want yeah yeah, yeah that, know, is, that so, is a big risk to any <laughs> business definitely definitely now what was the biggest lesson you've learned in business
0: Oh, the biggest lesson I've learned in business that's a that's a good question for me what I feel is really important and where I feel a lot of leaders I guess sort of don't do this is on the topic of risk-taking and we talk a lot about failure and failing fast and celebrating failure all those sorts of phrases kind of heard ad nauseum in the innovation industry but what I think is really important is making sure that as a leader you share your own failures. It's very easy to just go, oh, well, here are some of the company's failures and here's what we can learn from that. But it's really powerful when when a leader, when your manager is actually talking about how they have failed because it makes it even more okay to to fail and not feel this pressure to just succeed. And that pressure to succeed can really get in the way of innovation. Obviously, you ultimately want success, of course, but if you don't see failure as an option, then you won't take the necessary risks and leaps of faith that that you need to take when it comes to innovation. So I, I think for me, you know, it's, it's it's about being really honest and open with with my team um, and, you know, for, for any leader with with the teams that you're working around, working with and particularly around failure, being really open around that. I think that it's it's so important when it comes to innovation.
1: Yeah. Well, at the end of the day, if you're a leader of an organisation, then any failure that occurs is your failure anyway. You know, and, and I do see a lot of that in business where, um, and I've always believed in taking responsibility for, You know, your team members, the people around you, leading them, mentoring them and giving them that direction, but also empowering them to be able to make the necessary decisions to move forward with progress as well. Mm, Definitely. Yeah. Now, what advice do you have for startups and aspiring innovators?
0: (laughs) Um, my, My advice would be, as I said before, don't start with an idea, start with a problem that you can see a customer has, whether that be a problem you've identified in yourself, something that frustrates you as a consumer of a particular category or industry, but just don't start with an idea. You have to start with a problem and make sure that your idea that you then get to is anchored in what actually matters to customers. Yeah.
1: And that's where we really see uh you know, we really see businesses excel when they are solving those problems and really understanding what the customer wants or needs more like it. Mm, that's exactly right. Yeah. And finally, what does the future look like for you? <laughs> uh
0: Well, I you know Inventium continues to grow we're always on the, the lookout for for new innovation consultants uh, but something that we're focusing on as a business is moving into the education space and we're all super passionate about educating the next generation of entrepreneurs so you know probably high school age students that you know like we, we, we just think we've got all this great stuff that we teach to some of the world's most successful corporates and we think wouldn't that be great if we could put that knowledge into the hands of younger people and see what they could do with that so we're we're actually running through our own innovation process at the moment we've got a few shortlisted ideas that we're going to be moving pretty quickly into an experimentation stage with so that's um so that's a pretty exciting project that we're working on here at inventium
1: it does sound very exciting and I love the fact that you actually want to give back to the next gen- – well, give back but educate the next generation um, because you'll see that flow on effect in, in business in the coming years. But it's also contributing back to the community as well, isn't it?
0: That's exactly right. We're all super passionate about that.
1: Yeah, Great. And you're a fantastic mentor. Uh, I can imagine that there will be a lot of young people that could really benefit from your skills and experience and just your knowledge and and what you've achieved over your entire career. (laughs) So well done and thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to The Honest CEO Show with Caroline Kennedy don't miss an episode. Subscribe on iTunes for your weekly dose on all things business. We've also made it easy for you by linking the subscribe to button on the Virtual Executive website. Caroline shares free business tools and resources there too. And if you're stuck and need some advice, book a free 30-minute session with Caroline or one of her team. Go to www.virtualexecutive.com.au and check it out.